Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Self-Published Success, a show that highlights forward-thinking publishing processes to give you the head start you desire on your authorship journey. My name is John Feldman, founder of Visionary Literary, and in today's episode, I want to talk about the importance of intellectual property. On Friday, our episode is with Tony Kitchens, and he discusses the importance of intellectual property and of owning your work. So I want to touch on that idea here today. But first, a note from our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode of Self-Published Success is brought to you by thepowerpitch.co. While we at Self-Published Success only interview successful authors, there are 4 million other podcasts in existence, and they crave quality guests. The problem is that their desired guests aren't pitching them properly because they don't know how. If you're looking to grab the attention of podcast hosts and get booked on the top 2% of shows, you cannot send bland copy and paste emails to the hosts. They get them all the time. You need to stand out. And the Power Pitch shows you how. Adrian Moreno, founder of the Power Pitch, developed a proven strategy to get you booked on the top shows in any industry. And it works. Believe me, I know because I took this course. And it landed me on podcasts with tens of thousands of monthly downloads. Adrian's three-step framework is guaranteed to get you booked on 52 podcasts in 12 months, and he's offering listeners of self-published success a $100 discount. To get started, go to www.thepowerpitch.co backslash visionary to access the free PDF that will be the starting point of your podcasting growth. Your business, your brand, and your future revenue will thank you. So back to the idea of intellectual property. I wanted to talk today about intellectual property and its importance. On the show, we've had so many conversations talking about creative control and how important that is to your authorship success. Creative control allows you to control your entire authorship process and the publishing process from cover design to pricing to promotion and most importantly, the contents inside of your book, your intellectual property. For anyone who may be unfamiliar with the concept of intellectual property, it's, it's essentially your intangible ownership of something. You can think of it as the equivalent of a patent for a physical product. Right? Your intellectual property is yours and it's yours alone. You own it. So long as you don't sign over the rights to someone else who wishes to, to buy all or a portion of that intellectual property, it's yours. By publishing on your own, you easily retain control of that IP. Since you control the entire publishing process from start to finish, including the, the editing and the final say in those manuscript edits, you're not at risk of interfering with your intellectual property. So it's yours. Everything you do um, is under your ownership, under your control. By signing with a publisher, however, a traditional publisher, you bring on the risk of signing over that IP, whether you do so knowingly or unknowingly. And this isn't the case at all with all traditional publishers. So if you are going to sign on with a, a publishing company, each has their own unique contract. Just read through that contract and make sure the intellectual property is all yours. Um, and 
this is where, I mean, the problem lies in people signing contracts without having legal representation um, or just simply searching for, for the IP. So there's a reason behind, there's a reason behind this, uh, a reason behind why, why IP is so important today um, with traditional publishing and self-publishing. So today it's much easier to decide which route to take self or traditional because self-publishing is much more accessible than it's ever been. The quality is higher than it's ever been. And it's, it's simple, it's easy, it's effective, and you retain that control. But that wasn't always the case. Prior to 2007, when Amazon launched the Kindle and allowed and launched KDP and allowed people to start publishing and distributing their own work on Amazon's platform, it wasn't it wasn't really possible to keep control of all of your intellectual property. Um, for for the decades leading up to that, you could up to two thousand and seven, you could you could self publish your book before eBooks um, and before KDP and before Ingram Spark, you could still self publish your book. You just needed to find a company with a printer and place an order with that printer for mostly a large quantity of books because the economy is scale. You need to the more you print, the less it is per copy, the more you can make per copy. That's basically the whole traditional publishing model is to place offset printing orders of very large quantities um, and then have higher earnings for each copy sold. But because there was no print on demand back then. So again, before 2007, if you wanted to self-publish, you could. It was just a longer process. You could still retain complete control, but you needed to find a printer. You need to have a lot of money out of pocket up front to place the order for those books. And when it comes to distribution, that's that's where the real issue came into play. So if you self-published your book back in the 90s or before 2007, the only way that you could really sell that book would be out of the trunk of your car. Or uh, if you wanted to have a, a book signing somewhere, you could sell your copies that way. It'd be, you know, here's a physical book, here's the cash in, in, in exchange. There was no... There was no distribution. You, if you had, if you knew somebody who owned a bookstore, or if you had your own physical location, some kind of other business or store, you could sell your book there. But that was about as far as distribution went. Um, you couldn't get into Barnes and Noble or Books a Million or any other retail store without having a representative, a sales representative, or or being your own rep and pitching your book to those chains. The same can be said about distribution into independent bookstores. As a self-published author without distribution, one option could be that you, going back to that, that offset printing order, you could order some copies of your book from a local printer, and you could walk around to independent bookstores and ask them for shelf space. I actually did this when self-publishing my first book, and it was... I. I placed about 25 copies of my book into a backpack and I walked around the streets of Philadelphia looking for independent bookstores. And I, I walked into the store with a copy of my book in my hand, introduced myself, introduced the book in about 10 to 15 seconds and asked if they could place you know, two to four copies on their shelves. Um, most owners shook their head no 
and I left, um, whether they did so politely or impolitely. Uh, and I, I left. However, there were one or two that, that did say, you know, leave a copy here. We'll read it. Uh, leave your phone number and we'll reach out to you and let you know if we want to place it on our shelves. Uh, they both did, but I never did follow up to to see if those books actually did sell, which once again, today it, it's so much easier because you can get into every independent bookstore through IndieBound and you can see sales reports without having to uh, to pick up the phone during business hours and call to ask how your book has been selling those two to four copies that you left. But so today, again, distribution to independent bookstores through IndieBound or distribution to major retailers is available with the single click of a button. Amazon makes it easy to distribute to all of their platforms glo globally, and Ingram Spark makes it just as easy to distribute to every other book retailer on the planet. Prior to Ingram Spark's inception, traditional publishers had the relationship that you needed, and that was with Ingram Books, which Ingram Books is two things. One, it's the, the largest distributor that most um, big traditional publishing houses go through, and it's also the parent company of Ingram Spark. A self-published author prior to Ingram Spark, prior to 2007, would need to have a relationship with somebody inside of Ingram Books to get distribution, which is nearly impossible. This getting your book into large retail chains before self-publishing, before the ease of it, meant you needed to establish a relationship with someone who had the relationship that you needed. So for instance, if you, the best path for an aspiring author would be to search for a literary agent. Um, that was always the process. It still is for many people, the process who want to get into bookstores, um, you know, the traditional way. But the author would, you would need to write a book. Um, you would need to search for a literary agent who liked your book. If that literary agent liked your book, that was good because they had the relationship with the publisher. So publishers will not speak to authors who do not have a relationship with their company already. Otherwise they would get thousands of emails every single day. So a literary agent is basically the filter for the publisher, for the publishing house. The literary agent would need to like your work and since they had the relationship with the publishing house, they know what the publishing house wants, what, what they desire, and they know what they don't want. So if they were to read your manuscript and say, hey, I love what you have here, but we're going to need to change some things around inside the manuscript because I know what this publisher wants. If you change these things, I will represent you as your literary agent, and we will pitch this to the publisher. So there, to get your foot in the door in that relationship cycle, initially, you have to change up some of your manuscript. Whether you like it or not, you have to listen to the literary agent because they know what the publisher wants. Then, once you get accepted by a publisher through your literary agent, the publisher and their editorial team might read your manuscript and say, okay, we know what sells. We do the research. So you're going to have to change some things around again in order to get your book to a point where we know we can sell X number of copies to recoup our money. They are a business, so they need to do that. But they they do the research. They know it works. So round two now 
of you adjusting your manuscript, whether you like it or not, is necessary because the publishing house knows what sells. They know what they can sell to all the major book retailers with their sales representatives that go out to Barnes & Noble, to Books A Million, to all the other stores quarterly and try to pitch books to be to get shelf space on those stores. So you have to round two, again, you're adjusting your manuscript and you need to do it because again, this is prior to self-publishing, prior to 2007, prior to the ability to distribute on your own, you had to get your foot in the door with someone who has the relationships. So the cost for doing so is to not only adjust your manuscript, maybe against your liking, but also in those contracts that you sign with the literary agent or the traditional publisher, you might be handing over property of the control ownership of your intellectual property. Again, not the case for all contracts, but this is something that prior to 2007 happened, still happens with some traditional contracts. Um, and it's something that you really need to look out for because in an industry that we see it's struggling financially, I mean, it shows in their recent employee strikes and complaints about low wages um, and the rise of self-publishing, the ease of self-publishing and more people knowing the benefits of self-publishing. Um, there is a really good chance that if you sign over the rights to your intellectual property, these companies might need to not necessarily come after you if you use this intellectual property elsewhere, but they might. So for example, if if you're collecting, you know, if your publisher owns the intellectual property that's inside of your book and you're using that information, the same information in keynote speaking engagements or maybe coaching or you're consulting and your publisher finds out you're using that IP, they may come after you and say, hey, we own this IP, so we want the profits. Maybe not all of them, but at least half or at least some uh, and that will dig into your, again, your creative control. It's going to dig into your pockets. So intellectual property, very, very important, often overlooked because people get excited about the potential to sign with a traditional publisher just because it is a, it's a venerable again, process. Um, it's something that was, that's been sought after for so long and some people still want the traditional model over the self-publishing model. Hopefully not any of you, if you're listening to this show, if you've been listening to this show, you know the benefits of self-publishing and you are keeping control of everything. So for Friday's episode with Tony Kitchens, I wanted to introduce this concept to make sure that everyone is, uh, make sure we all are on board and we know what what is coming. Again, he has some really a really good conversation that we had with Tony. It's a little bit of a longer episode than our normal ones because we talked so much about the importance of this and he brings many, many different stories to the table. So we're excited about that. We will see you on Friday. And until then, remember, go to visionaryliterary.com backslash free book to get started on your own authorship journey today. Or if you're already on your authorship journey, share that link with a friend or a colleague who you've heard say wants to write a book, okay? 
Enjoy the rest of your day. We will see you on Friday.